Ah, do you love God? And in the course of the conversation, I realized we're not talking about the same thing. Like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, at first I thought you were talking about Jesus, but I've come to realize that this person is a Jehovah's Witness. And so some of the sticking points for Jehovah's Witness, um, and please, uh, we're going to be getting in the Word in a moment. So if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Uh, they'll be coming down in the aisle with those because uh, we're going to be spending some time in the Word. Uh, but some of the sticking points for Jehovah's Witness are that there is no hell. Hell, hell doesn't exist. Um, enough, let me ask, how many people have had a Jehovah's Witness come to your home? Show of hand. Okay, okay. So I wasn't the only one. Okay. <laughs> only 144,000 people are going to heaven. That's, that's one of the sticking points for Jehovah's Witness. Jesus isn't God. <laughs> oh, pr- pretty big one. Uh, they, they don't believe in the Trinity. So I realized, uh-oh, we, we, we now have two different views. And what's taking place here is I'm presenting truth. I believe they're presenting lies. But what's happening is we're both having a defense. We're both talking about our perspective and trying to help the other see it. If you go into the Mormon camp, it gets even weirder. I mean, Mormons believe that God came from another world with one of his goddess wives and, and the, the, the offspring of, of that union are humans. But if you are good enough, you can have your own world and be a god on that world. Like, it's kind of weird. But they defend it. Apologetics is, is the process of Christians, defend, well, anybody defending what you believe. But as we bring it up today, it's the process of Christians defending the gospel, defending the very truth, the very um, reason why Christ died. And we are defending the way in which we live our lives, because as Christians, we don't live our lives based on our own desires, our own wants, our own thoughts. We live we live our lives based on what God wants. So when you when you see apologetics, think defense. Think defense. How, how do I defend? And, and defend doesn't mean attack. Because I know that word in and of itself might turn some of you off. Like, oh, man, I got to get in an argument. I hate arguments. I don't want to talk to anybody. What do I got to do? You know, like, calm down. Doesn't, does, doesn't mean arguing. But you can defend in a healthy manner because you're assured in what you believe. So apologetics is a defense. It's a defense of the faith. It's a tool for strengthening our faith. I remember one of my uh, um, disciples, actually, Eric was discipling me once, and uh, I went to go teach someone one of the uh, one of the teachings in the binder. And he was like, yeah, I heard you listening. You was kind of bobbing your head along with me, but you didn't really start listening until you had to train somebody else in it, you know, until you had to make sure that they understood it. You started perking up your ears a little bit. I think that's true of our faith, too. You know, it's until we begin to get challenged in what we believe, challenged in where we stand, that we're like, oh, maybe I should start making some choices. Maybe I should start arriving. Maybe I should start being able to articulate the faith that I hold dear. So in 1 Peter 3.15, it says this. It says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready 
to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. I hope you see that this is, this even in defending, you, this can be a, a time of joy for you. It, you, are, you are sharing with another about the Christ who's died for you. The loving, intimate relationship that you have with a sovereign God. And it doesn't have to be in anger. Actually, it's encouraged that it be with gentleness, reverence. Dare I say wisdom. Sensing what the person is saying and trying with a, with a God-centered heart to respond in a manner where they will hear you. I've, uh, in my earlier stages of, of coming to Christ, I, I came to Christ when I was in college. And so, I, once I came to know the Lord, I got extremely legalistic. And my friends would be like, man, what's up, Lee? You don't, you don't bump Master P anymore. And, you know, you're not listening about it. And, you know, Wu-Tang Clan. And I'm like, Christians don't do that. Christians don't listen to worldly music. You know, I come in and I just start cutting and slashing, making all types of accusations that on one hand weren't true, but also didn't approach the subject with gentleness at all. I definitely think Christians should be wise in the way we share and defend our faith. But sometimes you can be wise, you can be reverent, you can be gentle, and it still not be received well. And it still not be welcomed. (laughs) So what we hope for in this series of apologetics is that holistically you are going to grow. Holistically you grow deeper in Christ. That it will aid and it will equip you in evangelism. Because as a believer, you should be getting into gospel-centered conversations. This is an expectation. All believers, everyone in here. This is like, um, so does that mean everyone goes door to door and knock? Some of you, yes. But all of us, because we live for Jesus, we interact with the world every day. So at some point, there's an opportunity for us to share the gospel. If we don't and we only interact with Christians... I want to say change some of the modes by which you operate. Because that shouldn't be the case for us. We are called to bring God glory, but also called to make his name known. And we can't simply do that with other Christians all the time, all right? So uh, we pray that it grow you in depth, it grow you in your evangelism, and it grow you in your sanctification. Because as you continue to, to, under, to say, man, I truly believe this, this is where I'm going to stand on, you know, homosexuality, or this is where I stand on... Uh, complementarian and what it looks like to submit husbands to wives, wives to husbands, men to God. As you begin to wrestle with all of that and you begin to land, may it equip you, may it breathe life into how you live for the Lord. May it continue to have you live for him in a bolder way. So this is what we're hoping through this next series, this next apologetic series. But I am... I want you to pause for a second and think about some of the spots you go to. Maybe a place that you go to when you want to study or get away. Maybe it's a coffee shop. And imagine you go to this coffee shop consistently. And someone approaches you and they say, you know, um, Dan, I see you in this spot all the time. I see you reading. I see you getting into God's Word. And I see you studying and You know, when we have a conversation, sometimes you bring up phrases that reference the Bible. Um, I never I'm never I wasn't really from a Christian background. I don't know anything about the Bible. 
So what makes the Bible different from any other book? How would you respond? How, how, would, you, how would you begin to lay out uh, an understanding so that that individual uh, could be rooted in truth? Is it simply a, a, a really cool self-help book? I was, uh, what was I reading yesterday? I was reading that um, the self-help book industry has taken off by like millions. It's like right now it's at its height. They said Covey, who did the um, seven, seven steps, seven habits, he developed a consulting group out of his book and made $333 million just in that group off of sales and advising people and self-help habits. Now, I'm not critiquing that brother. Got some great things, good advice. But my friends, like, there, there is a book, there is a, a rooting that is so much deeper than any self-help book can give. And if someone were to ask you about that book, what would you say? Well, that, that, that leads us to talk about See, when I start pushing it harder, it never responds. So I'm just going to do a, there we go. See that? <laughs> what, um, what, what makes the Bible different from any other book in the world is that it's been inspired by God. Not that it's in English, not that it has 66 books. Not, it's inspired by God. So what does inspiration mean? This is a technical definition. We'll get into a, a, a layman's term definition in a little bit means a supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit on the scripture writers, which rendered their writings an accurate record of revelation, or which resulted in what they wrote actually being the word of God. So if, so if, we, if we're going to, if, if you're sitting with someone and are like, great, okay, I hear you saying, you're saying that the Holy Spirit inspired this book to be written, but am I supposed to just assume that and believe that? Well, well we, we go through two, two ways. There's many ways to prove that. I don't have enough time today to prove uh, or to defend that the Bible is inspired by God. We'll just take two today because we don't have time um, to cover them all. Two approaches are the Bible validates itself and history validates it. Okay, so you have two groups of people outside of the church. When the church is, 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 is in existence, you have the world. You have a brother named Tactus. He's a Roman hist history guy. He records everything. We find in archaeological digs, this brother's books, and everything this Roman secular man is saying lines exactly up with the Bible. He, he's affirming what the Bible says. Another brother named Josephus. He's a Jewish historian. Same thing. Things that he's writing down, man, they line right up with the Bible. So there's, there's a historical element that says pretty much when the Bible says something is true. And even, and, and you can go to libraries, there's volumes of, of people, of authors who write about the Bible and, and just could care less about God, but affirm the places, the time periods, the culture, the different things that the Bible speaks to. But the Bible itself validates itself. 
And that's something that most people automatically kind of discount. You know, it's like me giving a testimony for myself saying, yeah, I'm pretty cool. You know, like, like, it, it, but imagine if you went to, to a crime scene, right? A crime's just taking place and you see the cops, they're collecting evidence. You see, you know, they're, they're getting a number of people's different stories. And the honor might have to help me with this, one of my law people. But, but one of the things that happens is that the defendant, the person who's committed the crime, their story is taken in. And their story is oftentimes the most important story. For if their story holds up and all of the people around that have been interviewed agree, it's called an open and shut case. Because, wow, we got him, booked, we agree, what he said lines up, great. But if there's holes in the case, if there's holes in that argument, now that person is, 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 is justified in being guilty. You see, we don't, we don't rule out the person's argument just because they were present, they are within it. Neither do, we, neither do we do the same of the Bible. We don't say because the Bible claims to be God's word, we can't count it. No, we definitely count it. But we also look at other things to see if that validity matches up as well. So what does the Bible say about itself? Second Peter, yeah, okay. In Second Peter, uh, chapter one, nineteen through twenty-one, it reads: We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, the, the Bible says that this did not flow out of a human. The, the, the human mind is not big enough to grasp the oracles of God. Right? We, we can't fully understand God. We are not God. And so we could not produce a God work. We can be a tool in producing a God work, but it cannot flow from who we are, for we are not God. But man, there's an origin here. And that origin comes from, from the Holy Spirit, comes from God. Can you, can you imagine, like, sitting down and, and, and this idea coming forth to you to, to write things that maybe you wouldn't normally write? Actually, you can. You see, most of you guys haven't been Christian your whole life. So some of you in your maturity, you kind of think differently than you did in the past. Like how many of you guys have, have, have found yourself doing things that you thought you never would have done because of Jesus? Somebody give me, give me, give me, can I get two examples? Move to Detroit. Come on. Now, that, that's, that's whether we want to acknowledge it or not, that's Holy Spirit led. So to, so to think that, so to think that that's a, a big jump that God couldn't inspire people to write the Bible, <laughs> He inspired you to sell your home and move to Detroit. 
He can, he, he can, he can create a book, Frank. Mm. Preach the gospel to somebody. Share your faith with somebody. Man, you know, one, one of those, I mean, for most people, that's terrifying. You know, you almost get crippled thinking of, I mean, you'd rather sell knives or vacuum cleaners or something like, let me get rejected for the item. You know, you, you feel crazy going to talk to somebody about Jesus. But man, like, but you step out there in faith anyway because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, that same powerful Holy Spirit that's doing the work in you did a great work in bringing together the beauty of our scriptures. Hook me up, Nilly. Second Timothy says this. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He's not saying, Timothy, man, you were so brilliant that when you were born, you actually were a genius and you knew all Scripture. He's saying, no, buddy, look. The scripture has existed before you. There's a track record of these scriptures being present. And so from the time of your growing, you had a chance to be immersed in the words of God. But 16 says something that we should catch since we all just came out of a, a Genesis study not too long ago. And he says, all scripture is God breathed. God breathes. God breathes. What, what does that take you back to? It takes you back to the creation of man. It takes you back to Genesis 2-7 where he says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Do you see God at work pulling together, creating I pray that if you're a person in here today and you're not really trying to live for Jesus, that you wouldn't be that you wouldn't be worshiping created things. But man, that, that today you would see there's no greater purpose than worshiping the creator of all things. So God breathes. He breathes things into being. The Holy Spirit brings the scriptures into being. But what does God himself say? What, what does Jesus say about the scriptures? What is, what, what is his perspective? There's many quotations of Jesus using the word of God. There's many references of Jesus um, quoting the Old Testament. There's so many allusions, it's tough for us to count. It would be like me saying, like, man, as I was riding my bike through the hood, uh, and then, you know, I saw this guy selling barbecue on the corner, like, Everything I'm saying, when I say hood, something jumps out for you. When I say barbecue, something jumps out for some of you guys. Ride and bike, like some of you guys think bicycles. Like those illusions are so embedded in a lot of what Jesus was saying. Like the scriptures were just a part of how he how he encouraged and how he um, built built up uh, the disciples. And so here, there's an interaction. There's an interaction where he used the scripture three times. And it's actually the time when he's tempted by Satan. 
It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness in Matthew chapter four to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took to him to the holy. Then, de- then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Interesting. Satan uses the scriptures, too. huh? And Jesus answered him, it is also written. Do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Family, you, you saw that, that, that beginning phrase that, that Jesus was using, uh, for it is written. Th- that's equivalent to him saying, but God's word says this. God said this. I was, um, I was, I was at home and I have three kids, two daughters and a son. And, uh, my, my second oldest, I asked her to go get something for me. So she's going downstairs and then my wife, Rebecca's like, hey, can you get, you know, I'm like, hey, can you go get a diaper for me? So then Rebecca says, hey, Lael, can you go grab the lotion? And Lael's like, no, daddy said go get diaper. And it's almost this sense of like what daddy said, nothing else is going to interfere with that. There's no, there's no, um, no change, no deviating from the plan. Like dad said it. It's true. That's what I'm going to be about. I wish she did that more often, <laughs> but, but, I, but I know God wishes that we did it more often, too. But I want you to see here that that's, that's the frame of reference that Jesus is using. He's not saying like, hey, it is written like, hey, um, go to the library and look up like in these annals. This, he's not he's not referencing. A, a, it's not a citation. What he's doing is saying this is the very word of God. We take it as if God spoke. And so Satan, who are you to try to trump what God has already said? How dare you? And he uses the word to put him in his place. Matthew 5.18 also reflects Jesus' view of the scriptures. And, and, and we're going to see some contrast because there's two very important things that, are, that take place in the life of Israel. And that's the temple and the scriptures. Hear what he says about the scriptures. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Everything is accomplished. And so we know here that that the word will withstand. But what happened to the temple? What, what, What happened to the temple that that? that the people of Israel put so much faith in. 
Come on now. I'm actually, I'm, I'm okay with you responding. What did you say? Destroyed. Destroyed. But this will last. Nielsen, you got me? Thank you. <laughs> so, so as, as we're looking at the Word of God, I, I want to equip you to be able to defend. And one of the ways in which you do that is you, you, you look at the text, you look at a topic, and you first say, what does the Bible teach on this? What does the Bible specifically say about this? Then you look at the phenomena. Okay, so how is that lived out? And when, when I'm talking with people and they try to say, oh, the Bible's not really this or Jesus didn't really do this, like oftentimes people don't really want to care about the teachings. They just want to use the, the, the examples as their primary. But when you do that, you negate, you, ne- you negate the way in which the Bible was written. So let, let's take for a second um, Jesus' perfection, right? Jesus was perfect. Amen. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. So if you meet someone and he says, Man, I was reading in the Bible that Jesus came into the temple and he threw over some tables. Is that using an example? So, so, so in him throwing over tables, he had to be sinful. How could you not throw over tables and not not be sinning? Is that is that a poor example to try to defend an argument on? Or 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 if you say or if he says, man, Jesus cursed a fig tree. So 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 he had to be sinful. He cursed a fig tree. You see, you, you see the 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 uh, does it really does it stand up much to, to Hebrews four fifteen, where it says clearly yet without sin. So now you've got to take your mindset of saying, okay, let me view this clear statement and place those things into that grid. Let me now say, okay, Lord, understanding that you're without sin, how can you flip a table? Understanding that you're without sin, how can you curse a tree? The phenomenon can't be the primary way by which we base our faith or friends will we'll be all over the place. Uh, go, go on with thank you, Broski. Um, so inspiration matters. The Bible was inspired by God and it matters greatly. It matters because the Bible is distinct from any other book. There is no book in the world that is like the Bible because God breathed life. He allowed for this to reflect and let man know who he is. This is a revelation of who God is. It helps us understand God better. God spoke to us through the Bible. We speak to God through prayer. There's communication happening always. We don't limit the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't say that the Holy, the Holy Spirit is awesome. He comes to us in intimate times and helps us understand the beauty of God. But even the Holy Spirit coming to us and helping us see, he's helping us see what the word says. He's helping us understand the Bible. And if there's ever a time where there's something that's contrary to the word of God, that's not the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. 
The Bible is authoritative. And, and next week we're going to talk more about the authority. And so what does it look like to live in light of the authority that's preached with the, and spoken of within the Bible? But, but just for today, man, you would base your life on this book. You would, you would live out the truths preached in this book. The Bible is exclusive. If, if, if God didn't say this, then that means other ways are true. Why, why, would you, why would you be willing to be judged and viewed as a weirdo by saying Jesus is the only way if Jesus didn't say it, if God didn't write it? So God making this allows you to have a firm stance in saying, I believe Jesus is the only way because that's what God said. And lastly, there's an eternal promise that's present. And that eternal promise, friends, is spoken of to us by God. I'm sorry, but you could write a great book. And if you and if the book is based on you. I wouldn't believe it if you if you had to tell me I was getting into heaven based on you. You're a nice guy. You're a great girl. But, but, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put my hope in you. But man, in, in, in the God who created time, who created all things, the Bible says all things flow through him and flow from him. I, I'll put I'll put my hope, I'll put my faith. I'm willing to take the take the chance on this God. So inspiration matters because God has communicated with humanity through his word. He delights in us when we live out that word. But say, say, you, say there's another question that comes up. Well, Leon, you're saying that the Bible itself, the Bible itself is breathed in by the Lord. Like he allowed this thing to, to come together. He inspired people to be able to write it. Oh, and I forgot to mention, too, if you guys have questions, uh, feel free to raise your hand because we are uh, we want you to be equipped. Uh, we want you to be able to, to live it out. And so uh, I'm cool in, with answering any question. I actually welcome it. Uh, but if I don't know the answer, I'll tell you that. Amen. So can the Bible be wrong? Can can the Bible get something wrong? Can the Bible uh, misspeak, if you will? If the Bible says it, Leon, can I believe it? Is really what it boils down to. And that, that brings us to a topic called inerrancy. It's like no, no errors. It, does, does the Bible have errors within it? Christians believe that the Bible is inerrant. But let me, let me help you understand what inerrancy looks like, though. This is a technical definition. Now I'm going to give you kind of the Leon definition and we'll flesh it out. The Bible, when correctly interpreted in light of the level to which culture and the means of communication have developed at the time uh, it was written and in view of the purposes for which it was given, is fully truthful in all that it affirms. So I'm, I'm, I, I had to wrestle with that for a little bit, and uh, this is what I've come up with. I'm not the, I'm not the uh, deepest theologian in inerrancy, but I needed to be able to speak it in a manner that 
spoke to my heart. So uh, the Bible, when correctly interpreted in the context of the people. So let's say uh, a book of the Bible is written towards a Hellenized crew. That, uh, that's a very diverse group of people in a time period, in a place. Okay? On the level of the people. So let's say if I say, okay, I'm writing a book towards everyone in Detroit. But actually, I want to just focus on women. So now, now I may use terms that are associated with women. Or I want to focus on uh, uh, dads. Um, so now, on the level of the people, with a purpose for the people. And so if I'm speaking to dads, I'm giving an encouraging message on dads. Like, you can't take my message and try to apply it to, like, widowed couples. Widowed couples? Uh, <laughs> that was the wake up, some of you guys, see? <laughs> you know, you, you, can't, you can't take my purpose by which I d have defined it and apply it to everything. It, ha it has a purpose. And, and, and if I'm hitting in those points, then everything that the Bible is saying is truthful in all that it affirms. So let, let, me, let me say a couple quick things, and that's this. As I've read through a number of different doctrines, churches, Christian organizations uh, begin to lose the focus on the gospel when this is in question. When whether the Bible has errors is in question. Because if we've just said the Bible is God-breathed, so you can live your life by it. You can begin to say, God, what do you want? According to this word, I want to live it out. When you no longer believe that and you think what's present are errors, now you begin to build your lifestyle, build your theology, build the way you do life on things that really suit your needs and your wants. And so... The theologians, pastors, whoever, look at places like Harvard. And they say, wow, Harvard started off as a school for training missionaries. A place for, for sending out individuals to proclaim the gospel so that, so that lives could be transformed. And along the way, someone said, let's study the Bible as a book, but not as a holy book. Let's simply just look at it for its historical data, not for the impact it should have on our lives. I have a friend who uh, attended Harvard and his, I mean, he fights to be a Christian in that environment. And he is in the, the, the religious department within Harvard and he fights to be a Christian there. There are a number of denominations that have, have that have done the same. And and the fruit of that has been the acceptance of homosexuality within uh, their pastoral leadership. It, it started with an error. Oh, you know what? The Bible doesn't really say that. We don't believe that component anymore. And then there's freedom now to start dictating and saying what you think the Bible really says. And I can tell y'all. I'm smooth at coming up with things to justify my desires. Ask my wife. I'm smooth. <laughs> Telling y'all. 
But she can see it, though. She usually shoots it down. She, but but, but re, let's be honest, you're smooth, too. When you really want something, there's a cool rationale you can come up with to get that thing. And the Bible, it, it, it's a slippery slope we start on when we stop saying, when we begin to say, uh, you don't have to really believe that. So, so what happens? <laughs> so, so what happens is this. When, as you guys will be defending your faith, as you're talking to people about the gospel, as you're talking to people about Jesus, you're talking to people about the Bible being inerrant, what usually happens is an individual says, oh, let me show you these contradictions. And because of these contradictions in the Bible, uh, the Bible can't be without errors. So there, there's a couple contradictions, okay? Seemingly contradictions. There's contradictions in numbers in the Bible. One person may say 22,000. Another person might say 22,500. And someone will say, ah, there you go, I got it. And if the Bible messes up here, then it's all false. Jesus didn't die. Look at these numbers. They're off. He couldn't have died on a cross. You know, like, you see where they jump. I'm getting you ready. <laughs> that's, that, that's how people will jump. But see, the, the Bible never claims to be a scientific, technical explanation of God. It claims to tell things from the way that the person sees them. So in one book, you may have... Uh, 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 let me give you an example for myself. If I'm sitting down with the IRS, or no, let me, if I sit down with you guys, and you say, hey, Leon, how much did you make last year? And I say, man, I made about, made about 20000 Cool. But, but if I am sitting down with the IRS, and I actually made $20,452.93, in, in that environment, I'm lying. But in another environment, I'm telling the truth. You, you see, n numbers, numbers like vary greatly depending on the purpose and the use for the numbers. And so in the Bible, if you see someone saying, hey, there's going to be a military fight. How many men do we need? I don't need that. They, they didn't need to get down to the number <laughs> because, we, because we want to outnumber them by hundreds, maybe thousands. I don't need a detailed number in that. But if I'm measuring how I'm going to build the temple, if, if we're talking about, you know, things that God has outlined in great detail, then the numbers do matter. And so there's no contradiction. You simply have to go back to that initial part that we talked about, which was what was the purpose of the author? What was the purpose of the author? Some, some perceived contradictions. People try to bring up different errors. You know, um, in Matthew 21, 1 and Mark 11, um, they, they view uh, everyone celebrating and saying, you know, Hosanna in the highest. But Luke says the same exact thing, but he says glory in the highest. Someone will say to you, uh-oh, look at what you did. I found an error. The Bible can't be correct. But you see, what, what, what both of them are doing is speaking to the people of their community. So Luke is hoping to care for Christian Gentiles. So he says glory because Gentiles would have been like, Hosanna? What? 
But when you look at the other gospel writers, they're caring for people who knew exactly what Hosanna meant. There was a Jewish expectation for what Hosanna would mean. And so, and so using different terms to communicate the same thing isn't a contradiction. It's contextualizing. And so you have to be careful and watch out for people when they try to slip you up and say, uh-oh, look at these two things. They're, they're, they're not verbatim. That's okay. Man, because we have a Bible that's for the nations. And we have a Bible that speaks to purposes. So these are just a couple more examples. I mean, we do it as humans. You know, we say, what do we say? We say sunrise happens at 637. But does the sun really rise? No. Don't, don't we go around the sun? Even scientists know that. They state that it's clear, but we still all operate with the same premise of the sun rising. Are you lying if you say sunrise? No. But do we all scientifically know that's not what you mean? Yes. You're following me here that, that, that you've got to get the purpose and the intent behind what the author's saying. So when someone says, you know, there, there was an argument for some time about the walls of Jericho falling and the Jordan River stopped and did it stop and there was just a little trickle of water left? Or was there like the water stopped and there was a big dam? The, the, the author isn't trying to give you a scientific analysis. He's just saying, look, man, God stopped the water. Whatever you think stop water means in a river, he did that. Okay? And, 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 and so I'm, I'm just helping you guys get, get fuel for being able to defend the beauty of the scriptures. What, what you're willing to live your life by. A, a, a brother that I don't know, might have been a sister that I don't know. They said men don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. Augustine said this, and, and, and these are some of the, Augustine said, he says, if these writings, if, if these writings I am perplexed by anything which appears to me oppose the truth, I do not hesitate to suppose that either the manuscripts is faulty or the translator has not caught the meaning of what is said, or I myself failed to understand it. Like, I want us to be okay, family, with saying, man, we don't have all the answers yet. We don't have all the answers yet. We, there have been archaeological finds that give us answers to questions we've had for hundreds of years about the Bible. You don't need to have all the answers in order to live according to God's word. And honestly, I think that's kind of good for us. I think it humbles us. It should. The word is powerful, family. The word changes lives. And I want to leave you guys with um, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. And I actually think, could someone turn there for me and read it? Because I left my sheet. It, it basically speaks of, yesterday I had the pleasure of doing a marriage, um, leading a, a, a couple and getting married. And it speaks of, of, of what it looks like to have a, a blessed marriage. But one of the things it says is that the husband is to wash his wife with the word of God. 
which makes her holy. The, the, the word of God, like, like a self-help book can't make you holy. I'm sorry, Oprah can't hook me. Doc, Dr. Phil, you can't do it. I'm just saying I, the depths of my problems are deeper than any self-help book can remedy. But there's a God who says, I love you enough to create you and not lead you to just wonder. Here, here's my heart to you in page form. Will you accept it? Will you live it out? Will you embrace it? What does that do for the way you live? Is, is the Bible just another book? Is it, does it get a little more rank than, than, than most books? Or is it holy? Is it holy? I pray that, that as you, as, as, as Mac Avers, as we, as we disciple, that we would all be convicted and that we would really hold each other accountable to time and the word. It is, it is, it is, if we believe what it states about itself, that it is what washes us, then, then, then how, can we, how can we not make it a priority? I, I confess, myself included, we need to make it a priority. And for those of you that are visiting, I pray that it would spur you on when you head back to your communities to, 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 to be held accountable to getting in the Word. To getting in the Word. Family, will you pray with me? Lord, you are gracious. You've left us with such a beautiful understanding of who you are. And though we don't understand it fully, God, what we do understand, Lord, is beautiful. God, may we be willing to defend what you've left for us to live by. May we see it, Lord, as... as uh, Inspired by you, without error, just as you cannot lie, Lord, the Bible does not err. But we love you, Jesus, and we are just so thankful for what you're doing in our lives. May this spur us on to spending more time in your word. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. At this time, family, we're going to... Uh,